Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's edition of After the Final Whistle. I am your host, Brad Clear. It is Friday, October 4th, 6 o'clock p.m. Big week in the sports world. This episode this week, it's going to be focused on football. Let's just dive right into it. Again, I am your host, Brad Clear, here on WSOE 89.3 FM, or if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, or podcast.com. So first thing I wanted to get into this week is Stefan Diggs and the Minnesota Vikings. This Vikings offense and team as a whole is just so weird. It, it, it just doesn't make sense. It's all a mess. Just everything about it is just very strange. So they've really, this season, in these couple games so far, they've really made such a strong commitment and pivot towards being this extremely run-heavy football team, right? Now, Dalvin Cook has been great. He's been absolutely awesome. He's been killing it in the role. He's getting a lot of volume. He's a very good running back. But it's just strange from this team who gave Kirk Cousins $84 million fully guaranteed, has Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen, electric wide receivers, both of whom are great, both of whom they're paying good money. And they had this super strong pivot, complete in the opposite direction, towards running the ball. And it's just strange to do that, like I said, with how much you have invested in your quarterback and in Diggs and Thielen, who are two really good wide receiver one caliber players. You know, looking at this Vikings team, uh, taking these numbers from Sharp Analytics, shout out to Warren Sharp, he's the man. The Vikings are dead last in the league as far as the percentage of first and second down plays in which they throw the ball. They have thrown the ball on only 36% of their first and second down plays. The second lowest total in the league is the New York Jets who have thrown the ball on first and second down plays 46% of the time. And we also think about it, right? This is a New York Jets team who Sam Darnold's been out. They've had to rely on running the ball because their quarterback play has been so weak. And even still, they're 10% above the Minnesota Vikings. 36% of their first and second down plays have been throws. That number has to be higher. Just to go to that low, that's a very, very, very low figure as far as throwing the ball on first and second downs. But the thing is, is even when this Vikings team, if or when they'd want to go super pass heavy, I I don't even think Kirk Cousins, who they've invested $84 million fully guaranteed into, Kirk Cousins is not capable, I think at this point, of being a quarterback who maximizes what you have with Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen. So even going, you know, to a balanced or pass-heavy offense, which based off of their composition and allocation of resources as far as salary is concerned, you would think is what they do. Even if they were to do that, Kirk Cousins has been just straight-up bad this season. You know, his big thing has always been he's been great on the play action, right? His play action throws... And production have gotten worse this year. And what we've seen, the greatest negative effect through the shift 
and pivot in their offense to being super run heavy in Kirk Cousins not being a good quarterback is the biggest impact has been on Stephon Diggs, who, as I said, he's a wide receiver, one caliber player. He's a big time explosive playmaker. He's super athletic. You can hit him with big down the field plays, a big time playmaker. Every team in the league could use Stephon Diggs. And he's 26 years old. And he signed, I believe, for four more years with $53 million coming to him. And we look through these first four weeks of the season. He caught two balls week one, one ball week two, three balls week three, and then had seven in week four. So he had a big week in week four. But that really only came about because his Vikings team was forced to throw the ball because they were down 10 to the Bears. They had to throw to get back in the game, manage the clock, and all that. If it was up to the Vikings in a perfect world, they're going to run the ball 7 out of 10 plays. Even Adam Thielen, you know, he had a comment where he made um, a comment where, you know, at a certain point, even if you want to run the ball and get 170 rushing yards on the ground or whatever through Dalvin Cook, even if you want to run the ball so significantly, there comes a certain point where you have to stop pounding the ball as far as just running it consistently, you have to throw the ball. You have to have defenses um, look at your offense and realize, hey, this is an offense that's capable of producing at a high level um, in the passing game. And it's just unfortunate because the resources are there in having Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs and Kirk Cousins being so bad in this drastic shift towards running the ball at such a high level it's just so strange to see how this offense and team has come out this season. You know, right now, if we look at the uh, we look at their division, the NFC North, they're the worst team in the division, and I don't think it's even a question. The Packers have looked really good. The Bears' defense is elite. We'll get into the quarterback play and the offensive side later. The Lions have even looked pretty solid and should have won last week against Kansas City. The Vikings are clearly the worst of those four teams so far this season. And to me, if I look at this situation, right, a team that's so dead set on running the ball, a team that's so dead set on maximizing Dalvin Cook and running the ball seven out of ten plays and not putting the game in Kirk Cousins' hands or hand and arm and not really taking advantage of the great duo of uh, Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen, you would think it would behoove the Vikings, especially with Diggs' frustration that we've seen this last week, you would think it would behoove them to at least probe the market and see what they could get in a trade for Stephon Diggs. Because a 26-year-old, explosive, athletic, big play, number one wide receiver caliber player like Stephon Diggs on a reasonable contract for a player of his caliber, that could fetch you a significant return. And you look in, around the league, a team like the Buffalo Bills, a team like the New England Patriots, a team even like the Green Bay Packers, and plenty of other teams would all have interest in trading for Stephon Diggs. So if you're devoting so much salary and so much money and so much of your cap resources towards the wide receiver positions, which you are clearly not maximizing. Take a guy in Stephon Diggs who's clearly not happy with the situation 
you could get a first-round pick in return for Stephon Diggs and allocate that pick, trade down, or allocate that pick towards a position at which, you know, better suits this super run-heavy scheme that they are now carrying out. I just think it's a poor use of resources to not be maximizing Diggs and Thielen, but at the same time, Kirk Cousins is probably not capable of doing so. So to me, this Vikings team is clearly the fourth best team in their division, and I know that they don't seem to want to trade Stephon Diggs, but if he's unhappy and this is the route their offense is taking, they have to look to trade him because they could get a haul in return for a player who they're not maximizing the skills of nearly to the extent that they should. I'm super disappointed in this Vikings offense. And quite frankly, you know, I'd love to see Stephon Diggs on a team like Buffalo. A team like Buffalo make all the sense in the world for them because you'd be getting Diggs in as a clear number one wide receiver. And he signed for multiple years at a reasonable rate. You know, I know that people like to say, oh, the Bengals should trade A.J. Green since he's going to be a free agent after the year, see what they can get for him. And then people mention Buffalo as a destination. Stephon Diggs is the perfect type of player for this Buffalo team to trade for, as I mentioned, because of that contract situation. So if I'm Minnesota and I'm dead set on this run-heavy offense, which if you're throwing the ball on 36% of your first and second down plays, they clearly are, you got to see what you can get for Stephon Diggs, especially with him not being happy. This team is a mess. The fourth best team in their division I don't know what's become of this offense, and that Kirk Cousins contract, oh boy, does that not look good. All right, let's move it along now to Carolina, and I wanted to talk about Christian McCaffrey, and specifically with Christian McCaffrey, his usage so far this season. Now, Carolina is going to thrive to the greatest extent that they can offensively, running the offense through Christian McCaffrey. That's just a fact. You have a player in McCaffrey with so much speed, with strength, with agility, who can make plays in the open field, can run between the tackles, is a great pass catcher. The guy can do it all. He's so good. And you can get so creative and get so much production out of him in so many different ways. But we look at Christian McCaffrey and how he's been used so far this year. He is getting run into the ground and used up hard. He's getting hit. He's being an active pass blocker. He is getting contact after contact after contact. He touched the ball 37 times last week, 27 week three, 18 week two, 29 week one. Now, again, as I said, I understand that this is what this Carolina Panthers offense has to do to win games and to be the best they can be. You know, with Cam Newton... In week two, I remember they ran the offense through a clearly injured Cam Newton and they lost to Tampa and they looked terrible that week. And now you have Kyle Allen in there. So, of course, you're going to run the offense through Christian McCaffrey. So I don't fault them at all for force feeding the ball to McCaffrey, um, giving him tons of uh, receptions, giving him a ton of carries, you know, giving him the ball in space and having him make plays because he's an electric player. I just worry for it from a McCaffrey standpoint, because this is a significant, you know, if you want to use the usage rate term, his usage rate, quote unquote, is massive. And he is getting so much wear and tear on him with how much he's getting hit, with how much physical contact he's initiating and receiving. Running backs have a small shelf life as is. 
And they have a hard time getting that big second contract because, again, of that shelf life and the fact that, as we know, the running back position is not a premium position you devote significant resources towards or assets towards. You know, we saw with DeMarco Murray when he left Dallas in that last season with the Cowboys, they ran him into the ground. Now, he was bad on the Eagles, had some good seasons with Tennessee, but they ran him into the ground, and he was not as good as the player he was with Dallas ever again in his career, even though he had good years with Tennessee when they had him and Henry together. Le'Veon Bell last year, when he held out for the full year, you know, a big part of that was preserving his body, not being run into the ground by Pittsburgh before he went into free agency so he could have more value to other teams as far as someone who's in his prime age and does not have as much wear and tear on his body because he avoided X amount of touches by not playing last year. For a guy like McCaffrey, he's built. He's strong. He's a guy who is a physical player, but is someone who, for me, I worry long-term if he's going to be touching the ball over the course of a 16-game season 25 to 35 times a game every single week, you know, it's going to be hard for him to stay completely healthy. It's going to be hard for him to not have his body break down or to suffer uh, some wear and tear. And I just worry for him for when that second contract comes due and for how his body holds up towards the end of this season and moving forward because he's really being run into the ground. Now, if he's on your fantasy team, then yeah, of course, this is great, but this is real life. And this is going to take a toll on him in the future. I love seeing him go out there every week and basically be a quality wide receiver and an elite running back in and of itself and go out there and produce at a high level every single week and get so many total yards and be such a factor in so many ways. I love seeing him play. I love how the Panthers are using him to such a great extent. And I like this Panthers team this year. And I'll get into that later. It's just worth looking at and saying, you know, you watch him play, he's getting big hits. He's getting lots of contact. He's being swallowed up on some plays. It's going to take a toll on his body at some point. So just stay healthy, Christian McCaffrey, because Christian McCaffrey is an excellent, exciting football player. Moving to Jacksonville now, we got to talk about someone who I've not talked about yet on this podcast. Well, I think I mentioned him in passing once, but the legend, Gardner Minchu, Minchu Mania, Minchu Magic. I love you and I Minchu. Shout out to the Mina Kimes show featuring Lenny. Gardner Minchu is incredible. He's been incredible. He has looked awesome so far this year. And this is something that's been talked about already across various podcasts and outlets, but it's in my head and I wanted to talk about it here. And that's what happens when Nick Foles comes back. Will Nick Foles get the job back? And should Nick Foles get the job back? To me, there's two different answers there. The question of should he get the job back is absolutely not. Assuming that Gardner Minshew continues to play as he has been playing, you do not take him out of this lineup. You leave him in there as a starting quarterback of this team. And there is no reason you put Nick Foles back in there. Now, it would stink for Nick Foles you know, to get that big contract, a big opportunity, and then he gets hurt, and the opportunity for that role is gone just because he got hurt, not from his own play. 
But if you have a young quarterback playing this well, you don't take him out for Nick Foles. You just don't. Now, will Nick Foles get this job back once he is healthy? You ask me that question, I think the answer is yes. Because look who's in charge there in Jacksonville, right? Tom Coughlin, Doug Marone. Very old school style of decision making. You know, they can look at it as Nick Foles lost the role not because of his play, but because of an injury. And with the significant investment made in him, they would sort of owe it to him to give him a chance to get in that role and produce, you know, because he did not uh, play bad to cause him to lose the job to Minshew. It was because of injury, and he they feel maybe that he deserves the opportunity to thrive in that role. I could definitely see... It being that Coughlin and Marone, when Nick Foles is healthy and comes back, Nick Foles goes right back into that starting spot. I kind of think that's what's going to happen. You know, even though Minshew is playing excellent and he's awesome and he should be the starting quarterback for this team for the rest of the year, I kind of think that Nick Foles is getting back in there and immediately taking that starting spot. Now, long term, you know, I think Nick Foles is interesting because if we look at Nick Foles' contract, and we look at how much teams pay quarterbacks, and we look at quarterback situations around the league, you know, if the Jags were to say to themselves, all right, Gardner Minshew has been an absolute beast for us for this year. Sorry, Nick Foles. We made the big investment in you, but we have to stick with Minshew. I think that there is an ability for the Jaguars to go out there in the offseason and to be able to trade Nick Foles, get off of his contract, and get a mid-to-late round draft pick for him. You know, fourth round pick to me. You know, we'll we'll get into Chicago's quarterback play later, but I could see a situation in which Chicago would trade a fourth or a fifth for Nick Foles. You know, Tennessee, we'll see what they do with Mariota, how he plays the rest of this year. Tampa, we'll see what happens with Winston, how he plays the rest of this year, and what they do with the contract next offseason. Cincinnati, you know, there, there's just options. So there are teams out there, I think, who would be willing to give up a fourth or a fifth to take in Nick Foles. So the idea that they'd have to play Nick Foles because they paid him so much money and they're so invested in him or stuck with him, I don't think that they're stuck with him because with how Nick Foles played in the playoffs last year and then won the Super Bowl with the legendary performance the year before that, you know, I think that that holds weight as far as if a team wanted to trade, you know, like Chicago, if they wanted to trade for a quarterback to have competition for Trubisky next year, I think that holds weight. That's a player they'd want to trade for and bring in. So I think that there is an ability for the Jaguars to get something in return for Foles and to get off of that huge contract they gave him. I just don't see how going away from Gardner Minshew benefits this team in the short or long term because Minshew is playing incredible right now. He's a young guy. Long term, if he keeps playing like this, he's your quarterback. He's your franchise quarterback. Now, of course, he's played a couple games. We can't be saying that. That's too small a sample size to conclude that he is this long-term quarterback answer. But if it's week 11 or week 10 and he's still playing the way he has, I just don't see a way in which you can look at the situation and say, you know what, we got to put Nick Foles back in there. Because Gardner Minshew, at that point, if he's playing like this for another five or six weeks, that's a guy who looks and plays 
like your long-term answer at the quarterback position. Now, speaking of long-term answers at the quarterback position, I just mentioned Chicago. Let's specifically talk about Mitchell Trubisky. If Mitchell Trubisky was half-decent, the Chicago Bears would be the team I'd look at and say, this is the team that's going to come out of the NFC and make the Super Bowl. If Mitchell Trubisky was good, like a good quarterback, the Chicago Bears would by far be the favorites to win the Super Bowl. Look how good this defense is. This is an elite quality defense. And, you know, I've been a proponent of Mitchell Trubisky in the past. You know, I think I've been someone who was a fan of his, liked him. um, But he's just, man, before he got hurt last week, he just looked terrible this year. Absolutely terrible. Like regressed from a level at which he didn't look too great but had some flashes. Regressed from there. Just straight up bad. And Chase Daniel, as he performed last week, if Chase Daniel, as he played last week, is the Chase Daniel you're going to get every single week, Chase Daniel gives this Bears team a better chance to win games than the Mitchell Trubisky that we saw for the first couple weeks of this season does. So if you're Chicago, right, you have this incredible elite defense that's being dragged down to an extent wasted by poor quarterback play. How do you move forward with that quarterback position? Now, I heard a great argument or point on the Ringer NFL show about how, you know, if Trubisky is out for a long period of time, if he is, that may preclude Chicago from getting some competition in there for him because they would like to see what they have in him next year. To me, you know, Trubisky's been so-so prior to this year. He's had good moments. He's had bad moments. But his awful play in the beginning of this year, you know, I think it's clear that Trubisky is kind of the new Blake Bortles in the sense that, you know, he's this very high draft pick who doesn't look that good, whose team has an elite, high-quality defense, and that poor quarterback play drags down what should be a Super Bowl-contending team as a whole. And that Jaguars team fell apart and did not become what it should have because they made such an investment in Blake Bortles when he was clearly not a good quarterback, and therefore they ultimately suffered for it and they never got to reap the benefits of that incredible defense that they should have been able to reap. And that's what I look at and see in the Chicago Bears team. I think it's clear at this point that Mitchell Trubisky is not the long-term answer for this team. And it's a shame because you look at the draft in which they traded up from 3-2 to two to get him. Imagine if this Chicago Bears team had Deshaun Watson or Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson both drafted in that draft. And we could get into a whole separate discussion on the teams that passed on both of them like Jacksonville. It's a shame because if you put Deshaun Watson or Patrick Mahomes on this Bears team, the Bears are the best team in the NFL, and it's not a question. Not a question. So, you know, you look at the situation. Nick Foles, I mentioned, with Jacksonville. Depending on what happens with Mariota and Jameis Winston, we'll see there. Andy Dalton. You know, these aren't exciting options and names, but these are options. Josh Rosen, perfect option right there. Josh Rosen. There's so many different potential 
quarterbacks that the Bears could trade a mid-round draft pick for to bring in a competition at the quarterback position or to find someone who can be a stopgap um, and produce better than Trubisky in the short term to maximize how good that defense is and to maximize their team's success. The point I'm making, there are avenues for the Bears to go out there for next year and to add some competition in the quarterback room and to find someone who can be better in the short term than Mitchell Trubisky. And for this season, you know, we don't know how long Trubisky is going to be out for. But, you know, if Chase Daniel plays again like he did when he came in for Trubisky against Minnesota, I'd rather, as I said, I'd rather have Chase Daniel playing quarterback for me to win games for this season and to maximize how good my defense is. And that's a shame. It's a shame. So we'll see what happens with Trubisky coming back this year, if he can bounce back and play better. But man, the early signs from this year before this injury, not encouraging. Trubisky looks really, really bad. So it's a very interesting and curious case for me looking at the situation to see how exactly Chicago will move forward at that quarterback position long term. And it's unfortunate, again, because if you put a good quarterback on this team or a semi-decent quarterback on this team, this is the best team in the NFC. This is a team that makes the Super Bowl. And I'll get into that more later. I don't think this team is that team because of their poor quarterback play. Again, here listening I am Brad Clear on After the Final Whistle here on Friday, October 4th on WSOE 89.3 FM. Or if you're listening on podcast.com or Apple Podcasts, continuing with this NFL episode, let's go to the Baltimore Ravens. And let's get into something I've tweeted about at Brad Clear underscore. Clear is spelled K-L-I-E-R. The Baltimore Ravens being all in with the analytics this year. And you could kind of see, you know, this organizational shift in philosophy, fully embracing analytics and football. You could kind of see it uh, forming in the offseason. They made lots of hires. Um, I believe they, they, the title was quantitative analysts. They made lots of analytic-related hires in the offseason. They valued the secondary more than the pass rush, you know, bringing in Earl Thomas, uh, giving a uh, big contract to Tavon Young, uh, letting Terrell Suggs walk, uh, letting Zadarius, um, Zadarius Smith walk. They clearly committed towards that philosophy, valuing the secondary more than the pass rush. They got comp picks in uh, for C.J. Mosley and for John Brown. And the players they added offensively around Lamar Jackson, who, I mean, oh my goodness, Lamar Jackson is incredible. They added playmakers with speed guys who are um threats for to pull off a big play like hollywood brown guys with speed and big playmaking ability now of course it's easier to implement you know full-on analytical strategies when you have a quarterback like lamar jackson who is playing at an mvp level uh who has um become an incredible throwing passer now looks like the second coming of michael vick just right-handed you know, it's easier to implement all these strategies and tactics when you have a quarterback who produces at such a high level and creates so much offense. But, you know, I, I, when you're down 24 to 10, you score a touchdown. You go for two instead so that if you get that going for two, stop the defense and then score again, 
you've put yourself in a position not just to send it to overtime, but to win the game. You're maximizing each offensive possession and you're giving yourself an edge in the game by not just playing for a complacent, you know, keep the game tight, keep it within reach. It's no, you're going to be aggressive. You're going to get as many points as you possibly can and you're going to maximize that incredible talent and optionality that Lamar Jackson brings you at that quarterback position. You know, going for two in the first quarter of games, going for it on fourth down often. Teams do not go for it enough on fourth down, even though we've seen in the league there be more of a willingness to go for it on fourth down. Teams still do not go for it enough on fourth down. The Ravens are being very aggressive going for it on fourth down, being very aggressive going for two on touchdowns. They're maximizing every possession. They're playing to get as many points on every possession, not to keep it a close, tight game, not to keep the game within reach, not just to get some points on the board. No, they're playing to win. They're playing aggressive. Furthermore, in how they employ play calling with this strategy in mind, they, outside of the Chiefs with Patrick Mahomes, the team best suited to do so, the Ravens throw the most deep passes of any team in the league. Again, we talked about, I mentioned Hollywood Brown. I mentioned how they added big playmaking types around Lamar Jackson offensively. They added speed. They built a team that is suited for big plays throwing the ball down the field. You throw the ball down the field, it's an efficient way to go about your offense, to go about being aggressive and scoring points. They've tailored this offense not just around Lamar Jackson and maximizing his skills, but maximizing their ability to take advantage of the deep ball and big plays. I love this focus that they have going all in on um, analytical football, uh, being aggressive, going for it on fourth down and going for it, um, going for two on touchdowns. And again, as I said, you know, not every team can do this with the same ability to succeed as the Ravens, because the Ravens have Lamar Jackson in there at quarterback, but recognizing how good Lamar Jackson is and taking advantage of all the abilities they have uh, to be aggressive near the end zone, to take big plays down the field, to have big speedy playmakers all around, to have an offense that's full of speed, to have a defense whose secondary, you know, I think their defense has actually been a little bit underwhelming this year, but still a defense whose secondary, in theory, you know, is stout. I think the organizational focus and the way they're allocating resources and the type of players they're acquiring, I think it's all great. So I've loved watching them this year. You know, I was down on them coming into this year. I was completely wrong. This is a dynamic football team with an MVP quality quarterback. Love watching the Ravens so far this year, and I'm very excited to continue to do so moving forward this season. Now, Speaking of quarterbacks whose play has changed significantly this year, let's look at one whose play has deteriorated this year and has become worse, and that's Jared Goff and the Los Angeles Rams. Last night, should have won the game versus the Seahawks. Uh, Greg the Leg missed that last 44-yard field goal at the end of the game. Let's look at the stats here from Sharp Analytics. The Rams are now the 20th ranked passing offense in the league. An offense who's masterminded by Sean McVay, 
that has Brandon Cooks, Cooper Cup, Robert Woods, with Jared Goff at quarterback, is the 20th ranked passing offense in the league. With a great offensive line as well. 20th. Sean McVay. What is Sean McVay employed offensively more than any other team since he's become the head coach of the Los Angeles Rams? The answer to that is the play action. They're still running a ton of play action plays, but their play action production has decreased significantly, and that's been a hallmark of this team, especially with having Todd Gurley in the backfield. That's been a hallmark of how good this or how this team has been so good offensively. On play action plays, Goff is now 24th among 32 quarterbacks. Um, expected points added, 28th in adjusted yards per pass attempt. And that's all with them running 34% of their plays offensively through the play action. Their offensive DVOA down to 16th. Goff's QBR, 40, it's in the 40s. That That's ridiculously low for a guy who we were looking at before this year and you were saying, hmm, who would you rather have amongst Carson Wentz and Deshaun Watson and Baker Mayfield and Jared Goff and Dak Prescott? You know, there was a that was a big discussion, right? He was in that group of quarterbacks who you could look at and say, hmm, who would you rather have for the long term? Now, I know we all, to an extent, recognize that he benefited from Sean McVay being the um the foss the wow words are hard being the force behind their offense. But still, he was a very good quarterback these last couple of years. And he just has looked not good this year. Mediocre at best. And this Rams team as a whole, they still have a good record. But this team is just not the same team as we saw last year. They're a completely different team because of their decline in offensive production. Across the board, Goff's interception percentage is up, touchdown percentage is down, adjusted net yards per pass attempt down. They should have beaten Seattle last night. They're still a good team. They're just not a great team anymore like they were last year. There's still so much talent there. Cooper Cup, back from his torn ACL, looks like a million bucks. He looks absolutely incredible. Brandon Cooks, Robert Woods, you still have Todd Gurley and Malcolm Brown. Now, I bet they wish they didn't give Todd Gurley the money that they did. That's a different story. But the point is, offensive weapons, the talent is there. The offensive line is there. The defensive quality is there. The talent is there. This team is still good, but they are just not playing like a great team, which they had been last year and were thought to be coming into this season. Now, whether it's a case of Goff legitimately uh, legitimately regressing or teams figuring them out, you know, I look at the NFC as a whole. I'll get into this a little bit more in a second. I look at the NFC as a whole. You know, I don't look at the Rams and say, this is a team that has a chance to come out of the NFC. I don't. We look at the NFC West. You know, San Francisco I know is undefeated right now, but I don't look at San Francisco as a big threat this season. I just don't. Seattle, if they threw the ball 30 times per game and maximized the incredible quarterback that Russell Wilson is, you know, if you looked at the NFL for the next five to 10 years and had to choose from only the quarterbacks that are currently in the NFL, 
the only quarterback in the league I'd rather have than Russell Wilson for the next five years is Patrick Mahomes. Outside of Patrick Mahomes, there's no quarterback in the league I would rather have as my quarterback for the next five years than Russell Wilson. If they stopped being so focused on establishing the run and threw the ball 30 times a game, this Seattle team would be a scary team. Pulled off the win last night. We'll see how they keep doing the rest of the year. But Seattle looks like a nice, solid team also. The Rams do not look like the same team. Still a good team. But you can't look at this team and say, man, that's a team I could see coming out of the NFC for the Super Bowl. That's a great football team. They're just not playing like one. And it's just concerning, especially with the fact this is really the most impactful part here. Jared Goff just got paid. Jared Goff now has over $100 million guaranteed. Jared Goff next season has a cap hit of over $36 million. So if he's regressed to being this kind of player, that's concerning for the long-term outlook for this Los Angeles Rams team. Last bit here on the show, we got to mention the breakout stars on both sides of the ball for Tampa Bay. Shaq Barrett is the defensive player of the year so far this year. He has just been out of this world good. And then we look on the offensive side of the ball. I mentioned Chris Godwin and Mike Evans both on Twitter and on previous episodes of this podcast saying, is Chris Godwin better than Mike Evans or is he as good as Mike Evans is now? I think Chris Godwin is better than Mike Evans. Chris Godwin, I mean, especially in the fantasy community, there was a significant uh, buzz and groundswell around Godwin breaking out and becoming really, really good this year. I mean, Chris Godwin, you got to look at him. This guy is the breakout star offensively looking at receivers in the league this year. And I think he's become better than Mike Evans. And that's saying a lot because Mike Evans is a very talented wide receiver. Let's look at the NFC as a whole for the last segment here of After the Final Whistle. Again, I'm your host, Brad Clear. I mentioned just now talking about the Rams, about you know not seeing them as a team who could come out of the NFC and make it to the Super Bowl. I think it's hard to figure out at this point here going into week five, who the best team is in the NFC. You know, you look at the Eagles, right? The Eagles are a team who's loaded with talent, but they've dealt with a lot of injuries so far this year, and I think that their record has suffered because of it. Carson Wentz is very, very good, but they've had a lot of injuries to deal with this year, and their secondary really needs some help. The Rams, as I mentioned, they're a good team. They're not a great team anymore. I mentioned the Bears, that elite defense, the team as a whole is dragged down by the subpar play at quarterback. The Green Bay Packers have looked really, really good on both sides of the ball so far this year. Aaron Rodgers looks like the Aaron Rodgers we've come to know, the elite, incredible quarterback. Jair Alexander in the secondary at corner, he's an absolute stud. I think the cow I, I wanted to believe in the Cowboys, but I, I think the team is pretenders. I think they're pretenders. You know, every year I do we do this song and dance about Dak Prescott and Carson Wentz and who's better? Is Dak Prescott better than Carson Wentz and whatever? He's not. He's clearly not. Because Carson Wentz drives the Eagles offense. 
Ezekiel Elliott and Amari Cooper drive the Dallas Cowboys offense. And if you neutralize Ezekiel Elliott and Amari Cooper, this is something that's said across the board, if you neutralize Ezekiel Elliott and Amari Cooper, you know, I, there's not a ton that Dak Prescott's going to do to beat you, whereas Carson Wentz is going to be able to beat you by himself. Furthermore, you look at the Dallas Cowboys, I mean, look at that offensive line. So does Dak Prescott drive that offense? No, he's probably the fourth uh, prominent factor as far as driving that offense behind the offensive line, Ezekiel Elliott and Amari Cooper. We do this song and dance all the time. Uh, defensively, they have a lot of talent, but you know, especially in the pass rush, they're not as good as they should be. You know, uh, Lawrence has not been as great as he has been in the past so far this year. I don't know. I kind of want to lean towards saying that they're pretenders now, even though I was really in on them versus uh, through the first three weeks. I don't know. I'm really down on them now. Not not really. I take that back. Not really down, but I can't look at this team and say that's a true contender. I kind of look at this team now and say that that's a pretender. There's a lot of talent there, but they're not as good as the Eagles if the Eagles are fully healthy. They're not as good as the Green Bay Packers are either. I still think when you look at the NFC, the best team in the NFC is when Drew Brees is healthy and he's on the Saints. When Drew Brees is healthy, the Saints are the best team in the NFC. Now, you know, they, they've also, there's been this misconception in past years that they no longer have a good defense. Um, they do have a good defense. You know, I think they just have to get by with Teddy Bridgewater. They traded for Teddy Bridgewater for a worst case situation like right now with Drew Brees being injured. They just have to get by. To me, when Drew Brees comes back, the Saints are the best team in the NFC. And are my pick, should they make it to the playoffs? Should Drew Brees come back, or when Drew Brees comes back, should they be able to get by with Teddy Bridgewater and be in a position for when Drew Brees comes back for them to make the playoffs? That's my pick to make it to the Super Bowl because Drew Brees in that offense with that defense, that's the best team in the NFC. But if we look at the rest of the NFC, you know, some sort of dark horse under the radar teams. You know, Seattle last night, I like that Seattle team. Just stop running the ball so much. Give the ball to Russell Wilson. Let him make plays. That's a good team on both sides of the ball. Carolina, I like on both sides of the ball. You know, they have to run the offense through McCaffrey to such a great extent. Curtis Samuel is good. Greg Olson has had a great season. Defensive side of the ball, they've been good. Brian Burns, the rookie, I liked him in the draft process. He's been good so far. That's a solid team on both sides of the ball. Tampa Bay... You know, if, T- if Jameis Winston can be somewhat consistent, Tampa Bay is seventh in the league in DVOA so far this season. Tampa Bay, they beat the ramp. Tampa Bay has sneakily been a good team on both sides of the ball. We mentioned the so far this year, the defensive player of the year, Shaq Barrett. I mentioned Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, Ronald Jones is having a breakout season. If Jameis Winston can play somewhat consistently, this Tampa Bay Buccaneers team could be a dark horse in the NFC. But again, as I said, when Drew Brees comes back, if they can get by and win games with Teddy Bridgewater at quarterback, put Drew Brees back in there, the Saints are the best team in the NFC and are my pick to make it to the Super Bowl. But if we look at it right now, just who's the best team in the NFC right now since Brees is out, 
I'd probably have to say the Eagles or the Packers. You know, if the Eagles were fully healthy, I think the answer is the Eagles and the Packers are second. The Packers, man, the Packers defense has been really good this year and both sides of the ball have looked very impressive. So I would say the Eagles and the Packers right now, the Saints when Breeze gets back, and I really am looking at Seattle and Carolina and Tampa as some under-the-radar teams. You know, Detroit has looked good so far this year, very surprisingly, but over the course of the season, I still think they're better, uh, they're the third-best team in their division, maybe even second if, nah, no, Chicago's defense keeps them at second. Third-best team in that division, I still don't think they're a playoff team. We look in the East, I mentioned the Eagles, the Cowboys I think are pretenders, the Redskins are a hot mess, the Giants are not a playoff team. We look in the NFC West, the Rams are a good team, not a great team. Seattle won last night against the Rams, I think Seattle's got a good team. San Francisco I think is a pretender with their record, Arizona is bad. We look in the NFC South, I mentioned Carolina, I mentioned Tampa, I mentioned the Saints, the Falcons are bad. So the NFC is... You know, it's not a clear-cut, you know, who the best team in the NFC is. So, looking at the course of the season with New Orleans, with the Eagles, with the Packers, those are the three teams that I'm looking at as far as being the best candidates to make it out of the NFC and go to the Super Bowl. So, it'll be very interesting to see how those three teams and those dark horses of Tampa, Carolina, and Seattle continue to play for the rest of the season. And with that... That is the end of this episode here of After the Final Whistle on WSOE 89.3 FM or podcast.com or Apple Podcasts. Again, I'm your host, Brad Clear. Be sure to check back here at 6 o'clock every Friday on WSOE for more episodes or just after 7 o'clock on Apple Podcasts and podcast.com. Shout out to the NFL. Shout out to you, the listener. Again, I'm your host, Brad Clear. And as always, goodbye. And good night.